hymn and praise before we turn to God's Word, God's Word, Luke chapter 4. Today, chapter 4 is, O soul, are ye weary and troubled? Red hymnals, number 252, verses 1 and 3. I want to dedicate that to the Legion writers and that fantastic meal they put on. And you may be seated if you'd like. 252, verses 1 and 3. Thank you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we are so grateful for a, a night's sleep and rest and relaxation. You remind us in your word that if our ways are pleasing unto you, that even our enemies will speak well of us. We thank you, Father, for your word that reminds us of a, a ruler who once came to Jesus by night to ask Jesus for the way of salvation and light. The master made an answer in words true and plain, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. Yet children of men and women, as they attend to the word so solemnly uttered by Jesus the Lord, and let not this message to us be in, be in vain that we must be born again. O ye who would enter this glorious rest and sing with a ransom the song of the blessed the life everlasting if we would obtain we thank you lord for the blessedness and the hospitality that the legion writers provided to us 
from start to finish. Doug was so gracious and treat us like royalty, and they feed us, and they do such miraculous works with the, the funds that are provided. So many righteous and glorious events are supported by the Legion Riders. And we support the Legion Riders, and we thank all those who attended the event third Sunday of the month from 8 to 12, and as they graciously allow us to hurriedly come over after our worship service, and, and we thank you, Father, for those wonderful eggs and all those ingredients. They must have 20-some various ingredients that we can choose and, and to place in our omelets. We thank you that you continue to bless the Legion writers and, and the various Legion groups as they grow older and, and more difficult to sponsor events, but you have blessed this group with so many blessings. We thank you, Father, that we are among the tongues who give you praise. We remember many of those today who are unable to be with us that through confidentiality and they, they want to be remembered, but, but they don't want to be remembered publicly or by way of television. They want to be surrounded by their loved ones and close people of the church. We pray for those who may never have entered our doors that may consider this their church when they've had weddings, they've had funerals. We've been the first call. When they've been in tragic needs, if they've heard a verdict of cancer or going through a possible divorce, we were the first call. We thank those who listen regularly by way of television and radio and Facebook and various means of communication that we can be the first call. They can feel locked into the Spirit of God through our worship service. We remember Gary and Kathy Cruz today, Lord. We remember, Father, the many concerns that they have and Chandler, their son. We, we thank you for their faithfulness in watching our television and the daycare workers that sit their children around to watch our service that they are entertained. We, it seems like we're kind of a modern-day Lawrence Well group, and we thank you, Father, that we can bring worship and traditional hymns and scripture and in the word of God in a very biblical evangelical tradition. We pray for the events of the day. We pray for those who may be mourning the loss of the game last night. All those Packer fans. Yes, Lord, I mean, I thought it was going to be really one-sided and decided the Packers, and I was just really encouraging those Packers. We thank you, Father, that this morning that we'll have a hedge of protection around those who went to that event that they may not suffer any COVID effects or, or cold effects as they endured the cold weather, almost minus two wind chill and wet and slussy and I played in many games, high school and college, football and snow and sleet and I know how 
the ramifications of the next day may be, and we do pray for all those spectators, and we thank you that we were able to sit amongst the warmth and the comfort of our homes and watch a very well thought out and felt game, and our hearts mourn for every player on that team who I really believe had such a sense of enthusiasm and excitement that first quarter especially in. We realize that in many aspects of life that life is a game that we, we start out in life. We think we're immortal. We think we're imperishable. Those first 17 years and all we can think about is getting our driver's license or dating or getting married and having a family. And now it seems like many of us are facing end-of-life issues. And we want to look back and reflect on life, and we want to be so grateful for the many areas of health and healing and prosperity and comfort and ease that we've all experienced in life. And those by way of television and radio, they can walk into those praises as they hear these words and as they join us in a prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ has taught us, saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Mike, if you'd come and get stationed and ready. And all those by way of television this morning, we want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. And it's great to see our congregation expanding and being back with us. And last Sunday, Chris was frying those omelets. And they didn't have a lot of volunteers. Their volunteers were... We're down a little bit, but I think a lot of the customers were were up. And boy, if you did, if you missed that third Sunday of the month, you really missed a, a real treat at the Osseo, Osseo Legion. Turning now with me to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and following. A powerful word of God to you and I, word of God to the people of God. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22, we see the rejection. We see the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth in his own hometown here. It says, when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. I can't imagine what it would be like going back to your hometown I return occasionally, and it's almost like going to the Legion. You know, there's so many people that appreciate the turnout at the Legion, and my presence back to my hometown. But here is Jesus. He was rejected in his own hometown, and he even went to his church, his church, his synagogue. It says Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his, as was his custom. Let me say here that Jesus believed in the dispensing of 
the Holy Spirit, even among those who may not have been true worshipers. But he, it says that Jesus stood up to read and the scroll, and in those days a scroll was used rather than a book or a Bible, the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's why you and I come to church and why we read the Bibles and we sing the hymns. We want to be anointed so that we can go forth and bring good news. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and Jesus sat down and in the eyes of all. Can you imagine? It says the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. Then Jesus began to say to them, Today, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then all spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Then they said, Is not this Joseph's son? May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. Good morning. Just prior to today's scripture, we read how Jesus defeated Satan's temptations in verse 10. We should understand this. Satan knows the word. Probably in some cases even better than us. With it, he can find our weaknesses to exploit and resist God in our own lives. Commonly, he'll twist a Bible passage meaning and take it out of context. Unfortunately, a lot of people will believe this and think anybody who quotes the Bible verse is a Christian. But without, without the proper meaning, he's not, and that, that's not. Biblical words without true meaning are just words. Luke's book records three miracles showing that Jesus has messianic power. It's, what's interesting about that is those miracles that Jesus performed were in the exact reverse order than, Jesus, Jesus, than how Jesus was tempted by Satan. Jesus returned to Galilee, and his human side was more invigorated than ever to perform his purpose. The tool he used for victory over Satan is available to all of us. His word. You are used to word in every, every circumstance where you feel like you're being led away from God or sinning. Now Galilee, Jesus returned to, was a fertile place. Small but very fertile. It was so fertile that it was often to hear the saying, it's e easier to raise ten tons of fruit than one child. Galilee, like I said, was fertile and very populated, densely populated. According to figures, it was about three million people. And so we can have something to compare to. It's about the same size as the state of Connecticut. We then read Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. His organized opposition had not yet formed. 
and he was free to do so. He went to his synagogue and he began to read. This was special to the Lord. This synagogue he attended when he was a child. Their services first began with opening prayer and praise. Then the law was read, and finally the sermon. And then perhaps the voice of a guest teacher. Jesus was the special teacher at this service, and he was reading. He was handed a scroll and he read from the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is with me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovering the sight of blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What's so cool about that? When he said the words anointed, he was talking about himself. And he sat down, handed back the scroll to the attendant, sat down, and he knew that every eye in the synagogue was on him. So he looked around, he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In verse 22, because the Lord knew everybody was focused on him, and that his words that he had spoken were dripping with grace. The listeners were able to hear and feel the goodness and grace of God and the Lord announcing the ministry of the Messiah among them. Like I said, what was cool is he was the one that he was talking about. Because they knew of him. That's what we have to realize. These people, they just knew of him. They didn't know him. They just knew about him. They didn't truly know him. So they were talking amongst themselves. Isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? Why does he speak with such grace? And, and so much of God's word inside of him. That's something we should avoid as people, especially specifically as Christians. When we speak God's grace or show others Jesus works through our own, we have to realize they are watching us. But really, they're watching Jesus. They're observing Jesus, and when we speak words, they should hear Jesus from coming from us. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Whenever I go out and, and either minister or listen to a minister speak, I, I like to take home a number of thoughts and sometimes it helps me to kind of write them down and that's why we've made it easy the last year or so for our congregation to have an outline of the sermon and then you just fill in the last word of the statement and we give you the, the initial that kind of allows you to kind of linger on those thoughts there's one thought that mike shared with me that just kind of ricochets in my mind that you're raising a child is equivalent of 20 tons, 20 tons of fruits and vegetables. It's easier. And I kind of imagine what 20 tons of fruits and vegetables, you know, would be. You know, how we are so blessed. You know, I know that the Peterson family have been so blessed, blessed with, with children that serve the Lord. I love my family, and I know you love your families too as a serve the Lord and you know it's 
It's not a difficult, or it is a difficult time, and it's probably getting more difficult to raise your children and your grandchildren in the days and the times that we live in. These verses that were read and we're exposing kind of to you today as part of the lexicon and the lex- lectionary, the lectionary passage of scripture, which um, many churches use. And I'm always excited to go home and listen to some Christian channels that deal with lectionary and see how they've expounded the, the lectionary, the lectionary, and you try to, you follow the lectionary and you get through the Bible in three years. And these lectionary verses, they relate to events which are only recorded in the Gospel of St. Luke. You'll only find this in St. Luke's Gospel. You won't find it in Matthew and Mark and John and any of the epistles, but you only find it in Luke here. And they describe the first visit, which our Lord paid after entering on his public ministry, to a city of Nazareth. Now, I've led groups to Nazareth, and it's it kind of comes to alive as you see things and hear things, and I appreciate comments by way of television and radio. A lot of you that watch us on television like to get the tight shot of Mike when he speaks, or myself, because you read lips, too. You know, wow, that's why I'm really conscious of my lip movement. And now that my mother is, is blind and she can't really read lips and she's has a hard time hearing and how much appreciative we are of our abilities to be able to see and hear and be able to speak. And here is where Jesus was brought up. You have good thoughts about where you were brought up and for the last almost 55 years I've organized reunions every five years. I've buried, I've buried many of my classmates and I, I like to go back, I like to think of, I had such a good home life, I had such a good, I didn't achieve economically, we didn't have much economically, but I, academically and athletically, you know, I was able to kind of get into that, that niche, and you, we all kind of re- recognize those niches when we grew up. And taken to, together with scripture here, the two verses which immediately follow, they furnish an awkwardly striking and awfully describing proof of what was going on here. And it just goes to say, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that the carnal mind is enmity with God. And Mike spoke to it that, you know, you can, you can walk something, you can talk something, and you think you possess it in your head, but you don't really possess it in your heart. And those scribes and the Pharisees and many of the elites of Jesus' day, they didn't like the suggestion that Jesus was on the same key and wavelength as they were. We should observe in these verses that enmity against God, the carnal mind, the carnal mind, the worldly mind, and we've seen a, a very great increase in the carnal mind within the church because rather than the church going in the world, it seems like the world has come into the church. We should observe in these verses what, what marked honor our Lord Jesus Christ gave the, the public means of grace, the public means of worship. Now, if, 
you're like me and your children grew up, it wasn't a matter of choice to go to church. We always went to church, sometimes a number of times to church. If we were on vacation, we always liked to be a part of a family, and we considered that our family, and we always liked to get to know new family members in new areas, and whatever part of the world I was in, or the United States, we were always commissioned to go to worship as a means of grace, a means of worship. We are, we are told that Jesus went into the synagogue of Nazareth on the Sabbath day, and he w stood up to read. That's why oftentimes when I go places, I'm, I try to be somewhat low-keyed, but I like to sit almost very front and center. And oftentimes the word gets out that in clergy, and I've, I've been asked to be a part of the reading. Remember when I was just beginning my doctorate out in the Boston area, Chris and I came to a church. I like to get there early, and it was about an hour early, and we were one of the first ones to be seated. We sat right up in front, and before I realized, I just I could hear all kinds of people coming in and sitting down. And as I turned around just before the minister got up, minister was a black man and he started to read the scripture that we reading today and it stood out in my mind and as I stood up and I looked back we were the only Chris and I were the only white white folks in a black congregation and he started to introduce me and he said we have visitors evidently visitors to our congregation and and I said this is Randy and Chris Tabor from Minnesota. And the next question is, what you doing out here? And, and we said, working on my PhD in Boston there. And, and we are told that Jesus went into the, the synagogue of Nazareth on the Sabbath day, and he, and he stood up to read the scriptures. Now, I always considered it an honor, you know, to be a part of a, a family, a part of a congregation, to to share scripture, share a word. But it, we need to realize that in the days when our Lord was on the earth, the scribes and the Pharisees were the chief, were the chief teachers of the Jews. And we can hardly suppose that a Jewish synagogue enjoyed much of the Spirit's presence and blessing under such teaching when they were rejecting Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Yet even then we find that our Lord was, was visiting a synagogue where he knew by this time he was not really welcome. And he began to read and, and he began to preach in it. And it was a place he realized where his father was. It was a place where his father's day and it was his father's day and the word was being publicly recognized like you were gathered here, and those by way of television, you're getting a little delayed, or radio delayed, but you're observing your Sabbath day of rest, relaxation, recuperation by, by coming. And Jesus thought it, it was good. It was good to honor the Lord's Sabbath. And we need not doubt that there is a practical lesson for, for us in this part of our our Lord's conduct. 
that we need to congregate, that we need to come, we need to become energized for the week, that the grace and the peace and the presence of God is being called to be on our side. Jesus would have us to know that we are not lightly to forsake the assemblies of worship. The book of Hebrews says, forsake ye not the assembling of one another together weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, so that you don't become W-E-A-K, weak in the faith. There may be a, a want of, of fullness. There, there, even in worship, there may be a, a want of clearness and distinctiveness in the, in the doctrines that are preached, and we can't cover all the topics of Scripture, but we believe that God is speaking individually to each and every one of us as we congregate, as we come together. That's what the word congregate means, come. That we're stronger together than we are apart. But so long as no positive error is taught and there is no choice between worshiping with, with such an assembly and having no public worship at all, it becomes as Christians to think much before they stay away, before they stay away. If there be, there are but two or three in the congregation that wherever two or three are gathered together in the name of Christ, Christ is present, who meet in the name of Jesus, there's a special blessing, there's a special blessing that's promised, promised. But there is no like blessing promised to the one who tarries at home. No scripture from Genesis, Revelation, no promise of a blessing at home. We should learn and observe, secondly, for another thing in these verses, what a striking account our Lord gave to the congregation of Nazareth of his own office, of his own ministry. We are told that Jesus chose a passage from the book of Isaiah, or it was presented unto him, in which the prophet foretold the nature of the work of the Messiah was to be was to do when he came into the world. And Jesus read how it was foretold that he would preach the gospel to the poor, how he would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. Do you ever feel a little brokenhearted? Maybe not at this point, but you may anticipate some brokenheartedness during the week. And how he could preach deliverance, deliverance to the captives. Do you ever feel a little captive, a thought or so, or maybe a disease or an illness or an ailment, you kind of overwhelms you and you feel captured by it. Preach deliverance to the captives, sight to the blind, and liberty to the bruised. Do you ever get bruised a little bit from people, times or things, chaos, confusion that we're experiencing in the world? And how he would proclaim that a year of jubilee, a year of jubilee to all the world had come. And when our Lord had read this prophecy, he told the listening crowd around him that, that he himself was the Messiah of whom these words were written. And that in Jesus and in Jesus' gospel, the marvelous figures of the passage were about to be fulfilled. Quite a statement, quite a requirement, quite a responsibility was being placed upon his shoulders. And may we, may we well believe that there there was a deep meaning in our Lord's selection of this special passage of Isaiah. It wasn't by coincidence. 
Jesus desired to impress on his Jewish hearers the true character of the Messiah, whom he knew all Israel were about to experience and expecting. He, he well knew that they were looking for a mere, just a mere temporal king who would deliver them from Roman dominion and make them once more first, first among the nations. Well, such expectations, he would have them understand, were premature and were wrong. The Messiah's kingdom at his first coming, his first coming was to be a, a spiritual kingdom, a, a kingdom of the head and the heart and the nature and the behavior, a transformation to, to be born again from, from above. One was born of the water in birth, physical birth, and then born of the spirit through the spiritual birth. His redemption was not to be the power to, in, to break from the power of Rome, but was from the, to be a break is from the devil, the devil in the world. And it was in this way that, in no other way at present, that they must expect to see the words of Isaiah fulfilled. And let us take care that we know, that we know for ourselves in what light we ought chiefly, personally, to regard Christ. It is right and good to reverence Jesus as very God. It is well to know Jesus as head over all things, the mighty prophet, the the judge of all, the, the king of kings, and the ruler of rulers. But we must not rest here if we hope. If you have a hope by way of television or radio or here at all of it, United Methodist Church, a hope to be saved, we saved. We must know Jesus. We must know Jesus as a friend of the poor in spirit, the physician of the diseased heart, the, the deliverer of the soul in bondage. And these are the principal offices that, that he came on earth to fulfill. It is in this light that we must learn, learn to know Jesus and to know Jesus by inward, inward experience so that it may be manifested in our outward nature as well as by the hearing, the hearing of the ear. Jesus said many would hear, many would be lost. Wide is the gateway to hell and narrow is a gateway to heaven by an inward experience as well as by the hearing of the ear without such knowledge we shall die we shall die in our sins from pulpit to pew we should observe finally that what as instructive example and an instructive example we have in these verses of the manner in which religious teaching is often heard we are told that that when our Lord had finished his sermon at Nazareth, his hearers bear him witness, bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They could not find any flaw in the exposition of Scripture they had heard. No flaw, no flaw. They could not deny the beauty of the well-chosen language which, he, which they had listened to, because they said, never, Never a man spake like this man, but their hearts. Their hearts were utterly unmoved. Their hearts were utterly unaffected. I hope that your heart is not like their heart. They were even full of envy, envy and enmity, it says, against the preacher of Jesus. They, in short, there seems to have been no effect produced on them except a little temporary feeling of admiration. 
It is vain to conceal from ourselves that there are thousands. There are thousands of people that we rub shoulders with each and every day, inside the church and outside of the church, in Christian churches, and in little better state of mind than our Lord's hearers at Nazareth, among the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious learned. There are thousands who listen regularly to the preaching of the gospel by way of television and by way of radio, and they admire it. They admire it while they listen. They do not dispute the truth of what they hear. They even feel a kind of intellectual pleasure in, in hearing a good and a, and a powerful sermon, but their religion never goes beyond this point. Their sermon hearing does not prevent them from living a life of thoughtlessness worldliness and sinfulness. In closing today, let us examine ourselves. Examine ourselves on this important point. Let us see what practical effect is produced on our hearts and lives by the preaching which we profess to like. Does it lead us to true repentance towards God and, and a lively faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ? Does it excite us to a weekly effort to cease from sin and to resist the devil, to clean our minds of pornographic thoughts and pornographic material? These are the fruits which sermons ought to produce if they are really doing us good. Without such fruit, a mere barren admiration is utterly worthless. It's no proof of grace. It's no proof of pardon. It will save no soul. Father, we just pray that the words of Scripture, according to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22, as Jesus spoke within his own hometown, he speaks to you and I today. If we're going to talk the talk, we better walk the walk. With every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, as we dedicate and rededicate our lives to Christ, may we say this brief prayer and may it move from our, from our head to our heart to our actions. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, for dying for us. Forgive our sins, O Lord. Come into our hearts and lives. Empower us, O Lord by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus returns to you and I each and every day and ultimately return to his home, own hometown and, and he returns to you and I and he returns at times where we don't always accept him as enthusiastically as we do other visitors. Let us turn now as we prepare for our offering ourselves, our offertory prayer and as the ushers Come forward this morning. Would you join me in the prayer printed in our bulletins? God, who created us, as we gather to worship you, we are conscious that we are one body in Christ. When one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is wounded. When healing happens, the whole body is blessed. May our giving this morning bring love to the heart parts of Christ's body that are feeling unloved, and forgotten, and may it bring justice and mercy to those parts that are oppressed and burdened. In our giving, 
May we find the joy of blessing the whole body of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. And our offertory hymn is Jesus Shall Reign Where There's Son, Birthdays of Honor and Glory, God and Jill Reinhardt and Margaret Pearson. And Margaret says to say, send her love and, and how she deeply misses all of us. Red hymnals number 489, please. Would you please stand with me for the doxology?
generous God, we are reminded through all of Scripture of the many gifts that you give. We know that these are not for us to hold on to, but are gifts for us to share in action, gifts from you meant for giving. And as we offer our tithes and offerings, prompt us so to commit more than dollars, our lives, but to see the gifts you have written on our hearts and to share generous, generous in, in a spirit of honesty and a spirit of integrity of those as well. We pray these words and actions in the name of Jesus the Christ in whom way we follow and for whose love we are eternally grateful. Amen. Now we'll get that done in a hurry. We can eat. We're multi-talented. One thing about Methodists, they have a methodology of getting things done and accomplished. Any other announcements, Mike? I, I was curious.